The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all of this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they vowed to sacrifice to the Lord, and made vows to him. Now, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The second reading is from Mark 4, which is on 1005 of the Church Bibles, and starts at verse 35. That day... When the evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with them. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and the waves. Quiet, be still. And the wind died down and was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Thank you, Joel. Well, it's a pleasure to be here with you this morning and to uh, talk about Jonah. Uh, I always love a good story. Stories tell us about ourselves. They tell us about the world and our place in the world. But um, before we get to Jonah, I wanted to give you a bit of background to place uh, Jonah in. Um, We read in Genesis 3, so when God's setting up the very beginning of the Israelite nation, 
the Lord had said to Abram, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, and that who later became Abraham, that's the guy, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And so up to that point, we have a whole little story about Abraham and what will come from Abraham. And it's a great blessing and it's a great thing. But look at the next bit. It's interesting, isn't it? And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, God didn't set up Abraham's descendants just to be blessed, just to be the lucky ones. He, in fact, set them up so that all peoples on earth, everyone on earth, would be blessed through him. God wasn't just for Israel. He was for all people. Now, in terms of where Jonah comes in the Bible, there is one other mention of Jonah in the Bible, so we don't think it's just a nice story. Um, Jonah is, is an historical person. And that's in 2 Kings 14. Thank you, Annalise. Um, we read this. In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria. And he reigned 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who had restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant, Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. So we see in that passage that um, the king had continued, king of Israel continued to lead Israel in sin, and also that Jonah had prophesied around that time. So that places Jonah at the latest, about 790 BC. He could have been before, because we know he prophesied about these events, but uh, he wasn't after. So, and Jonah um, has been sent to Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria. So Assyria was the country that eventually destroyed Israel. So, Annalise, if you just um, whack up the map, oh, sorry, the timeline. So there we have a timeline. So you can see on the very far left, there's the creation. So we are after creation. We are in the bit that just heads up. That's where we are. So creation, fall, flood, Abraham, Exodus, um, then David. And then after David, the kingdom split. And you see those lines going north and south. Um, The north bit, and then exile to Assyria. So Jonah would have been probably somewhere in Israel and maybe would have known that Israel was going to be ultimately destroyed by Assyria and go to Assyria, or may not have. So it's interesting that Jonah was sent to the capital of the city where, I'm sorry, the capital of the country that ultimately destroyed Israel. So thanks, Annalise, if you move on. So, um, just the context, God's plan was always for all peoples to know him, and um, God sent Jonah to Nineveh, which is the capital of the country that ultimately uh, destroyed Israel. So did Jonah. Um, First, you can see the three points I've got on the outline there. That is, this story tells us about people who don't know God. It tells us about Jonah, in brackets, and us. Um, And it tells us about God and what God's like. So firstly, to Jonah. Uh, uh, Sorry, firstly, to the people who don't know God. God says, 
You notice at the very beginning of verse 2, they have a great city, verse 2. He says, go to the great city of Nineveh. See, Nineveh is not just any city. God describes it as a great city. He's not an evil city or a large but insignificant city. His first words about Nineveh is that it's a great city. And it's a sign that perhaps God is concerned about it. And we'll see later on in the book that God is concerned about it. But you notice the reason that God wants Jonah to go there. He wants Jonah to go and speak because the city is wicked. Verse 2. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. We can think often that there is something good about us Christians. We can think that, you know, I'm a pretty good person because, you know, God wanted me to be his representative on earth. He, he sent people to me to tell me about Jesus. He caused people to invite me from school to youth group. But actually, God's motivation for sending Jonah to Nineveh is that they are wicked or evil. Now, have I got this right? Matthew uh, records Jesus' words. So Jesus is teaching his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount and he's describing uh, various ways how they should live. And I think it's a bit like in AFL. You know how one player runs past another player in AFL and they just give them a bit of a sort of bit of an elbow as they go past? I feel it's a bit like this from Jesus. You know, he, he's describing things. He's just stating facts. But I can't help feeling he's given us a bit of a clip on his way past. He says, Matthew 7 verse 11, If you then... Though you are evil. And he goes on and describes other stuff. Just dropping it in. See, God doesn't see us as great people. We are in some ways like Nineveh. God sends Jonah to Nineveh because they are wicked. Now, some people say, oh gosh, that's a terrible teaching. That's really depressing, Jeff. But I think actually it's a really exciting teaching. Because if God only wants to know me when I'm good, then when I'm not good, I'm in real trouble. But on the other hand, if God knows that I'm bad and still wants a relationship with me, well, that's a real thrill, isn't it? And that's where we are. Jesus knows we're evil. God knows we are evil. And yet he sends people to teach us. It's fantastic. Uh, A few years ago, um, we had a carols here, and it seemed like a good idea to me to go around the people in my street and uh, invite them along. So we have lots of um, lovely, friendly neighbours, and um, I went to those. And we have one set of neighbours who's just a bit, you know, not quite as nice and friendly as the rest, perhaps. They're a bit too, well, they're too cool for me. Um, Their background is just a little bit dodgy. Um, Anyway, I ended up going and knocking on their door. Why not? As all the other neighbours. Anyway, guess which of all those neighbours came? None? Sorry? That's correct. Thank you, Sunita. Yes. None, I was going to say, except that family. See, God's word isn't just for the good people. It's for the wicked people. Those people from Nineveh are wicked. Um, but what the other interesting thing about this passage, I think, in terms of those people who don't know God, is that Some of them are actually quite nice. Did you pick up how the sailors are described in this passage that Joel read? For example, God sends a great storm. Then verse 5, all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. 
And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. So first step, they throw the cargo into the sea, not Jonah. Then a bit later on in in this scene, um, they ask Jonah for his advice. Jonah says, verse 12, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. How the men respond. Verse 13, instead, the men did their best to row back to land. See, these people are nice. Probably nicer than Jonah. We'll have a look at that in a minute. They can show us what we should be like. The level of concern they show for Jonah is admirable, even after Jonah has admitted that the trouble they're in is because of him. Now, I don't know about you, but I I find it easy to hang around with other Christians. I think they're nice. We have stuff in common. But God calls us who are Christians to make disciples of others. And that requires us to be around them. Uh, I decided a few years ago that I would sort of work out a few things that I wanted to achieve and see if I would do them all in one go. So I wanted to play sport. I wanted to hang out with blokes and I wanted to hang out with non-Christians. That was my three things. So I found this soccer team and I joined them. And uh, most of them are not Christians. And I've played with them for 13 years and gone to the pub with them for 13 years. And they're a lovely bunch of blokes. They're generous, they're kind. It's both a rebuke to me, but also a comfort to me as I see that reaching these people for Jesus is not all bad. Not all bad. I can enjoy their company. But another surprising aspect of the people who don't know God is that some of them end up worshipping God. Verse 16. Uh, This the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now, do you notice when they uh, worship him? You've probably come across people who worship God uh, when they're in trouble. They cry out when they're really in trouble, and then the danger's passed. Uh, They just move on. But not these guys. The danger passes and then they worship God. See, this passage has shown us that there's several reasons to talk to others about God. Because firstly, God sends his messengers to evil people. Those who don't know God are actually nice, in this case to Jonah, and they end up worshipping God. And in contrast to that, uh, when we look at Jonah... See, Jonah doesn't always do what God says. In fact, looking from the outside, his actions are quite funny, aren't they? Uh, God says, go to the great city of Nineveh. But verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Now, I understand that it'd be easy to run away. Uh, It would be hard to go to a great city of another country and preach there. But it's kind of funny, isn't it? We're used to the saying where God says do something and his prophet does it. Ezekiel 3.3 says, um, Then he said to me, that is God said to Ezekiel, Son of man, eat this scroll I'm giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it. That's the normal pattern. But Jonah, on the other hand, he's funny uh, because how far he goes. It's like God told us to go to Melbourne and do something. And instead we head to India. I've got a map there. And I think it's really quite brilliant. So there... I feel like running across. But you can see here, Jonah lives here. There's Nineveh. And he goes, 
Look how many places he tries to go across. He's passing everything, isn't he? It's like he's said, I'm going to the other end of the world. Like, it's, it is funny. But also, Jonah's funny because he's actually in the storm. The, the storm is raging, everyone's afraid, but the second part of verse 5, but Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Something's not quite right here, is it? I mean, perhaps Jonah trusts God and that's why he sleeps. Or perhaps he had nothing to pray. What was he going to pray? Well, I guess he could have prayed, Lord, I'm heading back now. But he doesn't do that, does he? And his answer to the sailors is funny. Verse 9. They were asking him what the heck's going on in verse 8. Verse 9, he answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Sorry, Jonah, what was that? You worship the God who made the sea, did you say? And you're trying to run away from him across the sea? That's not going to work, mate. Um, and then, you know, if you worshipped him, you'd do what he said. You wouldn't do the opposite, would you? And then it's funny because Jonah has a plan. And even the plan isn't, let's head to Nineveh. I would have thought that would be a good plan at this point. Okay, guys, storm's my fault. Let's head for Nineveh. But no, verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Well, it's quite laughable. I knew it worked. But um, we can laugh at Jonah. But I dare say, part of the point of Jonah is for us to laugh at it, but for us to also laugh at ourselves. Because I dare say we're not that different. When God tells us to do one thing, it is so easy to do the opposite, isn't it? Or to say, oh, it can really mean that. I'll just put that aside for the moment and do something different. Many of you will know Chris Jolliffe. He came here a couple of years ago and uh, did a kids talk at our gingerbread event. He always uh, has been a minister in the Trinity Network for some time. And he loves to dress up in bizarre outfits. He had Ned Nectarine, he had Hans, the German. Um, and he has, um, up here, John the Baptist. I hope you get a good picture. You can see, um, there he is, standing there with his beard, his red hair, and a unicycle. I'm not quite sure if John the Baptist had a unicycle. But anyway, that's what Chris did. And Chris's thought was, you would laugh at him, and you would laugh at what he says. And, um, and then maybe you'll go, ooh, that's a bit close to home. So, for example, he might say, some people they think they only need to worship God on Sunday. As though God said, love the Lord your God with one-seventh of your heart. <laughs> That'd be ridiculous. And Chris's point is that we laugh at him and then we go, ooh, maybe I do that. And I think that's what Jonah's here for. Maybe I do that. See, a lot of Christians say, for example, we should pray more. And I always think, well, why don't you pray more then? Like you really should. Um, or, you know, we should love others. It's just too hard, isn't it? Yeah, we're, we're not that dissimilar to Jonah, really, are we? I would have thought. And how Jonah starts off is worse than the sailors. 
So we see the sailors, um, they're good value, they care for Jonah, but in contrast, Jonah brings them trouble. He says, verse 12, I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. I have a friend in Sydney, Philip, who's um, good at spending money, loves to go out and do stuff, and he often goes out to dinner with various people, uh, Christians and non-Christians, he's a Christian guy. And he tells me, I don't really know if I believe it, but he tells me that you go out to dinner, you all you know, share dinner, and at the end of the night you go with Christians, you're scrambling to get enough money and someone ends up paying a lot more than they really should. And you go with non-Christians, everything works fine, and you have money left over. Is that really the case? Are they really nicer than us? Well, if they are, it's a rebuke to us. Just like these sailors, in fact, are showing us how to live and how to care. But, although Jonah has been like that, been uncaring about them, in the end, Jonah is loving to the sailors. And he's willing to give himself up for the sailors. Verse 12, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. Yeah, I think the best answer would have been take me back to Nineveh. But it's not a bad answer. It worked. It saves the sailors. And in fact, Jonah, getting thrown into the sea, giving his life in that way, he actually becomes an example for us of love. And not only that, but he loves like Jesus loved. Because Jesus himself gave his life so that people might live. See, it gives us thought as well that just because we start off on one track doesn't mean we have to keep going on that track. Jonah changed from putting the sailors in danger and causing them to lose their cargo to helping them survive. And that's a pattern for us. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 says, I'm getting it on the screen, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Yes, it's expected that people who are Christians... We'll have to change, and that's what repentance is, changing. And that's what Jonah does. So I've seen what people are like. That is, the people of Nineveh are wicked. Some of those who don't know God are very nice. Uh, They do come to worship God. On the other hand, Jonah, who says he does know God, looks ridiculous because he runs away from God. Um, He acts not as nice as the sailors, but in the end he loves the sailors by giving his life for them. But we also see what God is like. We see that God is in control. In fact, so in control that it's scary. Verse 4, Then God sent a great wind on the sea, and and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Scary stuff. In fact, so scary, verse 5, All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. See, often on a ship, I imagine, the passengers get scared. You know, the ship goes like this And the sailors sit there and go, don't worry about it, it's all right, it's fine. But no, in this case, it's so bad the sailors are scared. And then God is also in control not just of that storm, starting the storm, he's in control of the game of chance. Verse 7, then the sailors said to each other, come, let's cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Even more scary than the storm raging or the drawing of lots is how the storm stops. Verse 16, or verse 15, sorry. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. See that in verse 15? 
the raging sea grew calm. After a storm, the wind can stop fairly quickly. You can get that calm well, before the storm and also after the storm. It can stop fairly quickly. But the waves go for ages, sometimes for days. A few years ago, we went to the Sunshine Coast in Queensland for a holiday. We managed to go to Queensland and miss cyclones. Fortunately, we managed to miss them. In this case, we came just after it. It came to the area we were at and then passed through and was gone by the time we got there. We um, got there and you know, saw the beach and one of our children, who was aged eight at the time, uh, took one look at the waves from a great distance and said, we have bigger waves at Glenelg. When we got closer, didn't he change his tune? Those waves were three times as big as he was. Day, no wind, cyclone long gone. The waves kept going. Bigger than anything we'd seen at Glenelg. But Jonah, at the end of verse 15, the raging sea grew calm, snap, changed. God is that powerful. Powerful enough to make big waves, powerful enough to stop them, like that. No wonder the sailors worshipped God. It's a message for us, isn't it? Because many of the commands of God require us to trust that God is in control. For example, Matthew 6, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That requires trust, doesn't it? It requires to know that someone's in control. But God's shown he's in control. He can control the wind and the waves. Surely he can control our food and clothes too. But the funny thing about God is that even though he's so powerful, he wants to use us, ordinary people, for his purposes. See, God could have used a loud voice to speak to Nineveh. He could have just stood there and said, Hey, Nineveh, you're wicked. Stop being wicked. Or some such thing. But he doesn't. He sends Jonah. He doesn't stop there. He chases Jonah when Jonah runs away. We'll see later he brings him back. And it's not just Jonah that he wants to use. At the end of Matthew 8, when Jesus completed his ministry on earth, he says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And then in verse 20, And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. He wants us, us ordinary people, to make disciples. See, Jonah was no extraordinary person, was he? It's quite ordinary, he ran away. But God still wanted to use him. So we can't say I'm not good enough, because Jonah wasn't good enough, yet God wanted to use him. We can't say I'm not good enough, because Jesus wants all his disciples to make disciples. Well, Paul says in Philippians 1, he says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. See, we may not be great. We may not even have our motives right. But the important thing is that Christ is preached. God uses people like Jonah and you and me to do just that. But in this passage in Jonah, God also shows us that he's kind. At many levels, uh, God is kind. He could have zapped Nineveh, but he sent Jonah. He could have killed Jonah for running away, but he doesn't. He could have even killed the sailors because they got in his way, but he didn't. 
And we'll see more of God's kindness in the coming chapters. What's interesting about this whole thing is how much it points us to Jesus and how much it shows that Jesus is better. See, it's funny, reading this book written many centuries before Jesus was born, and yet so many aspects are like Jesus and to show us how great Jesus is. I've got a table up there that um, hopefully you can read some of it. Uh, compares the two. So item one, obeying God. Jonah does the opposite. Jesus always obeyed God. Uh, 1 Peter 2.22 says he committed no sin. Love for others. Well, Jonah first put them in trouble and then later was willing to give his life for some sailors. Jesus gave his life for many. Mark 10.45 was a memory verse for those who were here a couple of months ago. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I think it's interesting that both of them slept on a boat during a storm. Hmm, interesting. But God used that to bring others to God, to know God. Jonah, it was accidental, wasn't it? He wasn't sitting there telling, uh, telling the sailors about God. But Jesus, in comparison, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they are harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then how the storm was stopped. Jonah stopped the storm by getting himself thrown into the water. Jesus, in the passage that um, Joel read before, well, he stopped the storm just by speaking. That's Mark 4, verse 39. Sorry. He got up, that is, Jesus got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Scary stuff, hey? So Jonah, in all his imperfection, and the funny things he does in life, points us forward to Jesus, who is so much better, who does great things, who cares and who saves. So when we look at this part of Jonah, we see what people are like who don't know God. We see that they are wicked um, we see that often, though, that even though they're wicked, they're nicer than um, what we might think. And they're worth speaking to about God because some of them come to worship God. We see what Jonah and we are like. That is not perfect, not worshipping God properly, and sometimes not as nice as those who don't know God's love. We see God, who is scarily powerful and in control and kind. And we're drawn to look beyond uh, Jonah and God's actions in Jonah to Jesus, who's like Jonah but better, who stops the storm just with words, who has compassion on people, and who gave his life so that we all may live.